0: What is the first thought that comes to your mind when you think of Christmas? Now, someone was very spiritual because they're in church and whispered, Jesus. Well done. Others of you probably went, oh, I'm so busy. The season is oftentimes very stressful. And you're thinking about all the things you have to do and all the homes you have to go to and all the presents you have to buy. And we forget about the wonder of Christmas. This morning, we're going to be looking from Luke chapter number one. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter number one. We're going to be looking particularly at the account and the attitude that Mary had toward this incredible news that she received. The angel Gabriel came and told her his favorite woman. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah. How did she respond to that? She responded, as it says on the screen there in verses 46 and 47, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That word magnified, I looked it up and I began to study that word out this week. And something that came out in my study was really quite encouraging to me is our praise and our worship to God as we seek to magnify God does not make God any more or any less the Savior and creator of the world. God doesn't need our praise, but he asks us to praise him. In fact, he commands us to worship him. He doesn't make him any more or any less God, But he commands it. Do you ever think that he does that for our sake? Because whether or not you praise God doesn't change the fact that God is the creator and the savior of the universe. But what it does, it changes our attitude. That's why we sing before the message. It's not just to fill up 20 or 25 minutes and make someone who can't sing very well really awkward for 20 minutes. It's to begin in our hearts and our minds preparing ourselves and changing us. So as Our souls magnify the Lord through the season. And when we wonder about the magnificence of God, what it does, it changes you and me and the way we view the world. The way we view ourselves, the way we view our neighbors, the way we view our family, the way we view our eternity begins to be shaped and molded by the way that we view God and how we magnify him. But so often, we come through life and we forget the majesty of God. We go through the motions. Maybe your story is similar to mine, where I grew up in a Christian home, so I was in church every single Sunday. Of course, it helped that my dad was the pastor, so I really was there every single week, whether I wanted to or not. And thankfully for myself, I had a very positive attitude. and, And in fact, I wanted to be in church as I grew up as a teenager. We were there all the time in church and you hear the stories. And to be perfectly honest, Christmas season is probably one of the most difficult seasons for me to find something fresh and new to share with you. That's why I'm extra excited today to try to wake you up because you're like another Christmas season. You ever think about Things that have happened in our world around us. And I was studying out this week and and I came across the, the account and the story of the Apollo 8. Some of you were around in 1968 and you would have maybe witnessed these things on TV yourself where we have the account of the Apollo 8, which was a, a space shuttle sent from the United States with the three astronauts. And they went around and they orbited the moon 10 times over 20 hours. And they sent back photographs and video seeing the Earth. And when they saw that for the first time, These men went, wow, this is amazing. The commanding astronaut, a man named Frank Borum, said this. I was awestruck. With my thumb, I could cover the whole planet. I thought this must be what God sees. And they responded in the most beautiful way that I could imagine. And if you imagine them doing this today, I would have, I would have loved to see the same sort of response today. There's a short video to show you what they, how they responded. It's now approaching uh, lunar sunrise, and uh, for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, They was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a merry Christmas, and God bless all of you. All of you on the good earth. December 24th, 1968, they went around the moon and their response was, and I think it was probably planned, was we're going to read the first 10 verses of the, the creation account from Genesis chapter number one. Seven months later, Apollo 11 comes o- along. And with Apollo 11, of course, you have Neil Armstrong and the other astronauts stepping onto the moon for the very first time and making the famous line, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. It's estimated that one-fifth of the world's population watched that on TV live. 94% of the United States population watched that live. And in so many things, we look at that and go, wow, that is amazing. Could you imagine seeing that for the very first time? You think to yourself, I will never forget that. There was a study in 1970, a newspaper called the Philadelphia Sunday Bulletin. And the 12-month anniversary after the Apollo 11 walking on the moon All of this, the entire world watching, they did a survey of people within Philadelphia. And they found that 70% of the people could not name Neil Armstrong as the very first man to walk on the moon. And you think, well, it was just Philadelphia. Maybe they were just a little bit slow there. They went through and did some other surveys in New York, and they found that uh, it was was a a lower percentage, but still it was a very high percentage of people could not name Neil Armstrong. Now, we're not here to remember Neil Armstrong today, but what it shows is human nature. We see something amazing that says, I will never forget that. And then 12 months later, we're forgetting about it. 1972, the entire po- Apollo project was, was scrapped because, through budget cuts because people, they said, people lost interest. I don't want to lose interest about Christmas, so therefore we're going to get into God's Word this morning, and we're going to take this challenge through this entire series. We're going to commit in our lives to wonder. Now, to commit to wonder simply says, I'm going to stop for a moment and go, I'm going to allow God to work today. When we're doing various things around the house with our family, rather than just going through the motions of another Christmas season, we're going to take the time to commit to wonder and to experience what it is that God has done through sending Jesus Christ to earth. What difference has that made in your life? Four points we're going to walk through this morning, and they all begin with the letter A. And they are the anticipation, announcement, acceptance, and the adoration. We're going to find all of these in in Luke chapter number one. And our principle for today is this. And every Sunday, we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. And it is this, live every day anticipating that God is working. That right there, I believe, will change the way we view everything. If we anticipate that God, through the seemingly normal and mundane situation, you're going to do something, imagine how it is that will begin with our our wonder. So it begins with anticipation. Mary, with her anticipation, said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Have you ever made the statement, well, I didn't see that coming. I didn't anticipate that. I think Mary would have experienced that in the most incredible way. She got up in the morning as she would have every other morning of her life, gone through the seemingly mundane motions of her life, and along comes in the angel Gabriel and says, you are going to be the mother of the Savior of the world, the Messiah. And you can, she can, I guess, very realistically say, I didn't see that one coming. When we look at through Scripture, through the, in fact, all of Scripture, we, we find different definitions of words in names. The name Jesus is a word that means Savior. We, we see it, it's, it's the Greek word, and of course the Hebrew is the Yeshua and it simply means Savior. In ancient times, people would name their children based upon the meaning of the name. You had some children that were named horrible names, like there was a one child that was named Ichabod. And the name Ichabod literally means the glory of God has departed. And in that context, the glory of God had departed from Israel because they had been defeated and the Ark of the Covenant had been taken. So at that time, she was giving birth at that very time, and she names her child Ichabod. So he has to walk around saying, the glory of God has departed. That's his name. As we look back upon the patriarchs, these are the the original people of of earth, and we read through in Jesus' own account of Jesus' own genealogy in Luke chapter number three. And also it's a it's a reflection of Genesis chapter number five. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to Genesis chapter number five and you'll you'll see through and you'll you'll scan through. But I'm not going to take the time to read it, but you'll see uh, a list of people, Adam, and he lived this long and his is his children. And then it says he died. And then it goes on and continues on. And Seth, and he lived this long, and then he died. After each of those names is a meaning of those names. And something I found quite remarkable as I was studying studying this out, and I have studying this out over the last number of weeks, is that these names mean things. And if you read through it, it literally says, if you go through the order of Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahaliel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, And then finally, Noah, read through the definitions of the name. And I'm going to add a couple of is's and ah's and but's in there. It says, man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching his death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort. And you look at these things and you go, none of this took God by surprise. He knew from the very beginning of time, before he created the earth, that he was going to require sending the Son, Jesus Christ, to earth. As we look through these things, on the the next screen, you'll you'll see a, a, a list of a bunch of names down there, and each of the colored lines are the length of these people's lives. And it's also in your bulletin. If you look closely at it, you'll see the father of Noah because you're familiar with Noah, because of Noah and the flood, a man named Lamech, he was alive for about 56 years while Adam was still alive. And you realize that you, or rather, you think about, imagine the stories that were told. You don't believe me? Go ask Adam. He talked to God face to face. And you imagine the stories that were told and how the anticipation was the Messiah is going to come. Where is the Savior? That was Genesis chapter number five. If you go to the very next chapter, it's a very sad chapter because you have people that are eyewitnesses to God walking in the garden. And then you see in Genesis chapter number six, verses five and six, it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Here's the key. When we fail to live with anticipation that God is at work, we fail to share the good news of the gospel with the next generation. And it doesn't take very long for the next generation to come along and have no idea about the things of God. You had the previous generation to Noah being eyewitness accounts of God walking in the garden. They had every opportunity, yet they chose not to listen. They chose to turn their backs on God and do quite the opposite. So we must live, first of all, with anticipation anticipate god is at work that begins with our wonder god you're going to do something today in this service god you're going to do something this afternoon at the community carols this week as we prepare for baptism next sunday god you're going to do something in people's lives it goes on with an announcement there's life changing news in this announcement And it goes to Luke chapter number one, verses 26 and then on. I'll read those verses. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Quick pause right there. Some information we see. She had never been with a man. She was unmarried, but she was betrothed. And in Jewish culture during this time, it was a legal position that she was in. It just wasn't two teenagers getting together and saying, we're engaged and sliding a ring on the finger. This would have been a negotiation with families. There would have been dowry paid. There would have been a plan of attack in the sense of how the wedding was going to look. Joseph, during this time, would have been preparing a house for Mary at his own family. Home, because that's the way they built on family home, family home, family home. You really hope you get along with your mother-in-law because you're going to live with her. All these things are taking place at this time. And then she gets some incredible news in verse number 28. Let's read the rest of verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, a pretty legitimate question. How will this be since I am a virgin? There's a surprise greeting that we find here. And just humanize this for just a moment. You have a teenage girl going through the motions of life, anticipating her marriage, anticipating her family and everything else in their society. There were certain ways that things were done. And then all of a sudden, angel Gabriel comes along and says, greeting. Now, first of all, if an angel comes to you, oftentimes our pictures of angels are short, little, chubby, naked babies. That's not the Bible description of angels. These are mighty warrior angels. Gabriel is not some some little fat baby coming and saying greetings. This would have been actually quite terrifying. And when it describes later on and it says, she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. That's like the understatement of the year right there. Are you going to kill me? Like what's going on here? Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. There was a surprise greeting that came along. Sometimes, our, when we discover wonder, when we're anticipating that God is going to work, we discover things that we never intended to discover. God prompts us and convicts us and changes us in ways that we never asked for. The Scripture never gives us an indication that Mary ever prayed, "God, please make me the mother of of your Messiah." God worked in a way that he saw fit, not Mary's idea, and certainly not Joseph's idea. It goes on, and she responds with genuine humility. Her response of genuine humility begins in verse number 30 and says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And Mary said to the angel in verse number 34, How will this be? But first of all, we see the word word. That word favor is the exact same Greek word that we get the word grace from. You ever heard of or met a person named Keras? It's a girl's name normally. And Keras is the Greek word that means grace. It's exactly the same word as favor. So it would be actually appropriate to say you have found grace with God. That's, that word grace means the undeserved favor of God in our life. It's trying to discern what sort of greeting this will be. You found grace with God. As we begin to think about our own salvation, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior for, for uh, more than it's a few weeks, oftentimes the shine begins to come off of it, and we get used to things. We begin to th- judge other people because we look at ourselves and go, "They're not like us. They don't think the way that we think or act the way that I act." And what we need to discover is the filter through which I see my my community around me. The filter through which I see myself is not the filter of my opinion the filter is Jesus. How will this be? That's a very legitimate question. She's with humility saying, God, how are you going to work this out? You start thinking about when God has prompted you to do various things. I think of my own family, when we were called, and I believe the door of opportunity came for us to move from Perth down to Bunbury, and specifically into the community of Daila. We moved here not knowing anyone, and I had a lot of prayers saying, God, how will this be? God, I believe you want us here. How are you going to work this out? You haven't told me everything. And the real key is Mary didn't know the rest of every aspect of the story. She didn't know what was going to happen in Bethlehem. She didn't know all the, the ins and outs of the details of Jesus' crucifixion, And she was given enough information to be obedient. We see a similar account with a man named Thomas, which was one of Jesus' disciples. We often refer to Thomas as Doubting Thomas. But I believe he was only doubting for a short period of time and lived the rest of his life as, I like to call him, Believing Thomas because history tells us that he actually went out and shared the gospel and became a missionary as far as the east coast of India. He went out and shared the gospel as an incredible evangelist. But he began with doubting Thomas. And when he was confronted with Jesus Christ, and Jesus said, look at my hands, look at my side, touch me. I'm real. I have really risen from the dead. He didn't remain as doubting Thomas very long. He responded with this statement. My Lord and my God. Every single one of us will experience God's work in our life. I can almost guarantee that Gabriel is not going to come to you and tell you that you're going to have the Savior of the world. But God is going to prompt your heart in various areas. He's going to prompt your heart in areas. And you stop and think when you're reading your Bible and then something jumps out to you and you feel a conviction that you've been doing wrong. You realize that's God talking to you. That's incredible. When you feel that still small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, don't do that. Or you hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit shouting in your ear saying, go talk to that person or go help them. And you think to yourself, How will this be? Let me challenge you to allow that wonder of the announcement when God's speaking to you to respond in obedience. We filter everything through Jesus Christ. There's a quote that says this, Our souls yearn for a wonder that reaches beyond the dimensions of our finite minds. And if we don't allow a wonder toward god we'll search for it elsewhere in false gods and this is the position where mary found herself at this time she was given incredible news mary you are favored you're going to be the mother of the savior of the world you're going to call him jesus and he's going to do incredible and great things she had a choice just like you and i have a choice God is always at work around us, and we have a choice in how we're going to respond. Are you going to respond with, my Lord and my God, and let's go? Or are you going to respond with, let's just wait a little longer? Let's, let's wait. Because waiting sounds so much more spiritual than just telling God, no, I'm not going to do that. And we say to our God, God, I'll just wait and see for you to open the doors of opportunity. And God has said, no, I want you to move forward. And that's what we find with Mary. The next word is the word acceptance. She accepted what God had called her to, to do. How will this be? It's a natural question. How am I going to do this? But the supernatural question that we should be asking isn't, God, how am I going to do this? It is, God, how are you going to do this? That changes our perspective on everything. If I can add something to your prayer vocabulary, a phrase to change and help your prayers. When you pray, don't pray, God, help me do this. Let's turn it around and say, God, will you help me be obedient? Will you help me see where you're working? Will you work and help me get on board with what you're doing? Next Sunday, we're going to have baptism. And baptism to me is an incredible privilege as a pastor. But I'm not saying this in a joking way. I'm saying in a very real way. God has to do something in your life to cause a person to say, I'm going to submit to go into the water. And we do it at Jetty Bath Beach, which has just recently been renovated. It's nice and fresh and new. The grass is nice and green and clean. And the toilets blocks are all new. And we're going to go down there and it takes a big deal. And I baptize a number of you. And I'll, sp- I'll particularly f- I'll pick on the, the, the very good sized men in the room. And some of you are very big, and I look at you like, we need to go out really deep so that I don't have to hold you. And it's an incredible honor, but it's also, it's totally unnatural. And I say this in a smiley way. You take a grown man or a woman out into the water, and we dunk him under the water, and I use the word dunk because that's exactly what everyone thinks when they're, on the, on the, they're watching from the outside. We dunk them under the water and everyone's on the side goes, that's wonderful. That's tremendous. If God's not the one calling you to do that, there's no way that I'm going to be able to convince someone. God's going to have to do the convincing. And we simply accept that and say, God, if you're going to have to do this, not me. goes on in verse number 35. And the angel answered her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is to the question of how will this be? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born shall be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God, that verse number 37. I you need to underline that in your Bibles and remember that for nothing will be impossible with God. When God has called it, when God has said it's going to happen, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said she has a choice. Is she going to accept this or reject this? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We know that Mary's cousin Elizabeth knew supernaturally through her husband, Zechariah, that, that Mary was going to have a child. We knew that Joseph was told also by the angel Gabriel in a dream. But you imagine just the, the, the family logistics of going back and telling your family, I'm expecting You imagine the gossip in the marketplace and all the conversations and the whispers. She says that she's conceived by the Holy Spirit. No one would have believed her at that time. And she simply responded. I have no doubt in her mind she was thinking through all the things that were taking place. She was a teenage young woman. She understood how other girls work. She understood the dynamics of the marketplace, and she simply said, I am the servant of the Lord. She did that through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the miraculous. It says in verse 35, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For in Verse 37, For nothing will be impossible with God. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have that same Holy Spirit living inside of you. So, therefore, when God calls us to do things, our natural response is, I can't do that by myself. And we must respond with, But when the Holy Spirit, if God's called it, and if it truly is God, He will provide it because nothing is impossible with God. That's something that's revolutionary in our life. I never want to get. Lax or bored of the wonder of the Holy Spirit's work. I never want to get bored or lax in the fact that God is constantly at work in lives around us. When we hear of someone coming to know the Lord as their Savior, we should all get thrilled about that because we realize what's going what is taking place in their life. Mary had the power of the Holy Spirit, but she also had an opportunity to experience. Personal obedience. No one could be obedient on Mary's behalf. Joseph couldn't be obedient on Mary's behalf. Her parents couldn't be obedient for Mary and say, Mary, yes, you will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Yes, you will do this. She had to be obedient for herself. And that's how she responded. I am a servant of the Lord. I have no doubt that she had natural fear. I have no doubt that she had questions in her mind about how the logistics were going to work out. But she began really one of the most powerful statements. I am a servant of the Lord. That opens up doors of opportunity in so many ways. I want you to stop and reflect upon your own life for just a moment. And times in your life that God has prompted you to do something or to not do something. And you, you recognize and you see that, that you're breaking the, 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 the norm and everyone else is doing that. And you think about it. God has called you to do something when in your workplace. You're the only one and everyone else is doing that. But you've been prompted and you've been convicted in your heart by the Holy Spirit that you're not to do that. And whatever that is, I'm trying to be very broad because I want you to think about it in your own circumstance. And everyone else is doing it, but you've taken a stand and you have a chance to have personal obedience. And you may think to yourself with your natural fears, what have I just agreed to? And I've no doubt that Mary had the same thing. But we also, we don't read of any remorse from Mary. In fact, we see quite the opposite we see a praise from Mary and the adoration of Mary. Rather than her having regret for, for stepping out and being obedient, she turns it around into a time of adoration. And that's our final point this morning, is the word adoration. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Notice he personalizes all those things. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in my God and Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And behold, now for on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is His name, and His mercy is for those who fear Him. And that verse number 50, those last few words. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. That generation to generation, that's you and me. Mary, as a young lady, being told incredible news knew there was an anticipation that God had planned the Messiah to come. Notice the angel Gabriel doesn't have to explain who the Messiah is and and what he was there for. Mary knew that. It comes down to an understanding that what she was doing today was going to impact eternity. Now, our salvation, of course, is through Jesus Christ and him alone, not through Mary, but through her obedience We're impacted today. My challenge to you and I is to think not just short term, not just the next 20 days until Christmas, and then go, okay, it's over, and then move on to something else. To think through and anticipate that God is working in the here and now. Christ is changing lives in the here and now. And imagine the impact that's going to make in eternity from generation to generation. And that will spark our wonder. So you and I together can sing and to say, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I want you to stop and think about how you are going to view this Christmas season. Spend some time in prayer, giving God permission to work in your life. And then go out to see the world in wonder and through fresh eyes.